Welcome to the Week in Italian Startup, where we discuss the latest highlights happening in the Italian tech and investment ecosystem. Jumping into last week's uh, big news, uh, we have a, quite a variety pool of information, very interesting, both from the fundraising standpoint, the, the uh, venture capital uh, ecosystem, and also some curious information that it's worth sharing and uh, we'll uh, dig deeper as uh, we move along. So starting, starting, uh, let's talk about A Avantgarde Bio, a biotech startup raising 61 million euro in a round participated by Atlas Venture, Forbion and Longwood Fund. So uh, this is, um, I thought, particularly interesting because, uh, well, first of all, uh, biotech deals, uh, they keep uh, raising interesting capital. And uh, what is interesting is also that uh, uh, it's not only Italian capital, but they, it tends to be pretty much like international capital. And that's the element that I found particularly interesting. Uh, just to give some context about the company. So the company has a very interesting history. It was founded in 2021, so it's relatively new. Uh, essentially what they do and uh, probably um, people with a PhD in bioengineering will, help, will, will hate me, but let me simplify what these guys are doing from the way I understand it. So essentially they're working into the next generation genetic therapy for uh, retinal hereditary diseases in particular. So a very specific uh, uh, narrow field of research. What they've been uh, working on is basically is a way to transport fragmented genes in a way that they kind of reassemble in a cell and then deliver protein in a very um, targeted way. So genetic therapy works through uh, basically production of protein from, again, the very overview understanding that they have. And these guys are pretty much working into making that specifically efficient uh, for specific genetic disease. So. Roughly, this is the idea. What is interesting is that this is a company that is pretty, pretty young. Uh, the headquarters is in Italy. And uh, the amount of capital is definitely like a pretty interesting, pretty one of the big one. So 61 million. Uh, from what I understand, uh, again, this is something that we notice in biotech uh, deals is that this is pretty much like POC money. So essentially, uh, it's a huge round in startup land, but essentially, uh, as the biotech uh, you know, ecosystem work, this is essentially to try a few different proof of concept uh, in therapy. So that's, uh, that's, a very, that's always like nice to keep in mind, I think, when, when we talk about early stage companies uh, in biotech. Um, another interesting element, I think, is the pool of investors. So uh, we always complain that uh, international funds have a hard time investing in Italian startups. Well, that's not the case in, in the biotech industry, actually, because all the three, all the three investors are international, uh, starting actually from Atlas Venture. So Boston based the US fund focused on biotech, uh, 2.2 billion uh, asset under management. So pretty much uh, the, <laughs> the whole venture money that Italy spends in, uh, in, in, a, in a peak year and just in, uh, in a biotech fund as a, as a little aside. Uh, the perspective and courage. <laughs> you know, size, we need to understand size in the proper way, right? So when we yeah. talk about big numbers, either we, we, you know, we lose, we use logarithmic scales or we need visual, like, a, you know, appealing uh, metrics so we can actually get a, a sense, a real sense of what we're doing. 
Yeah, let's only talk in terms of number of zeros. I mean, this is a, yeah. <laughs> a nine zeros, nine zeros fund or three commas to, to use another. Three, three commas, numbers. exactly. Three the commas. three commas. I love that. Excellent. So the second uh, fund also is called Forbion based on Netherlands, but actually they also have uh, different, um, different quarters around the world. So very active internationally. Uh, they spread the 3 billion under management across six different funds. And what is cool is that it's a multi-stage, that their strategy is multi-stage. So uh, all these six funds basically cover different stage of development of um, bio uh, health and bio startup companies. So literally from seed to series C. So that's a, it's a very, very uh, broad spectrum of investment. And finally, Longwood. So Longwood Fund, Again, US-based, uh, both of these investors are based in Boston. So uh, again, Boston is, is, is probably like a very active in terms of international biotech, both with universities and uh, uh, research centers. So that's, uh, that's worth uh, underlying this element. Um, rather smaller compared to the other, 300 million in under management. And what is interesting is, is, is a fund that is led by previous executive in the industry. So very hands-on, very active and very, you know, um, I would say uh, functional to the kind of investment they're making. So uh, good job for actually and good news for Italian biotech because uh, people internationally are still and actively looking into the space. And um, it's kind of like um, different from what we, we've seen in other verticals. So that was my speech, Nick. Uh, it's a lot of info. Uh, let me, let, what, what do you think of these uh, elements? It's a, it's a vertical that we don't particularly like, follow closely, but uh, I think it's curious to see what are the similarities and the difference. Yeah, well, um, you said it all. And actually, the only thing that I can, might add is that uh, Life science as a vertical in Italy is much more mature than uh, software digital. Uh, there are a lot of managers, a lot of competence, a lot of um, knowledge and relationships internationally, and you can see it uh, from, from around such as this one. Uh, and I may add that in 2021, when Avangard was launched, uh, the original seed investor was Sophie Nova, that's again mm -hmm. a French fund, but they invested through, the, through their um, uh, joint venture fund with Teleton. And this is one of the funds that was launched in, within the Itatech program. The one where Casa Deposit Capacity, CDP, teamed up with the um, European Investment Fund in order to uh, start uh, Italian funds focused on uh, technology transfer. So this is one, one of those uh, mixes that is actually, is actually working and uh, it brought in more investors into a company that actually was started from technology transfer originated by an Itatech fund. Awesome. So nice work. No, love it. Absolutely. Um, moving on, let's talk about Isaac, uh, building integrity startup, raising 5 million in a round led by CDP uh, VC. So uh, essentially what they're doing, uh, the, the uh, founders in Isaac is essentially um, uh, providing technology to make buildings uh, smart in a way that they can actually like prevent and in a way treat, so to speak, uh, problems with earthquake or potential like structural uh, damage that might, might appear uh, consequently to like an earthquake, earthquake situation. 
So uh, it's a ni- I thought it was a very nice application of, of the, the concept of a smart building and smart home. So it's not just, uh, you know, all the Alexas and all the, uh, you know, smart devices that you might see in houses. Uh, this is extremely practical and very much like pr- on the preventive side. So I thought it was a very interesting product that they put out uh, uh, in, on the market. Yes, that's quite interesting, actually. You're right. Because usually you see in the seismic uh, market a lot of uh, proposals about monitoring. So, hey, you know, there's a, a strong earthquake or a weak earthquake and the building is damaged or not damaged. In this case, they developed a technology to actually um, counteract the effects of, uh, of an earthquake on the building. So actually protecting the building. So we call it active protection. Mm-hmm. Um, quite interesting. And um, I, the, the round, this is not the first round that they raised. They had original investors from 360, investments from 360, uh, one of the prominent Italian funds. And this round was led by CDP, National Capital, with two funds. Uh, the um, Deep Tech Fund, Evolution, and uh, one of those new funds uh, with the corporate team up um, strategy, let's say so. Uh, they have one of those specific uh, funds that's called Infratech, Infrastructure Tech, and it's actually focused on investing in startup uh, active on, on uh, well, infrastructure. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, let's talk about Vection Technology. The Vection Technology is announcing the acquisition of Ian, Ian, in VR Ian version. So inversion, uh, inversion, inversion. So um, very definitely very, um, I would say, co- contemporary in the sense and very relevant, especially on everything that is happening right now and lately into VR. So yeah, what is your take on this one? Well, it's exactly in the same, it happened in the same week as the announcement by Apple of the uh, VR or the VR product. So perfect timing, either in the positive sense or negative sense. Um, you have to say Vection Technologies is not new to this because they are actually focusing on the uh, VR and reality market. Um, Vection is an Australian-Italian company, so they are listed in Australia, but actually the uh, the core team, the, um, the management is from Italy, um, and they've been uh, investing and acquiring quite a lot of companies in, in, in this XR and the virtual reality market at large. So they've been in quite a big portfolio. Um, it's, it's probably a good positioning uh, if the, um, the, v, the, the, the VR tool the, by Apple uh, actually uh, manages to create the VR market as we, as we expected, uh, because there is no real VR market right now. But if, if it creates the market, uh, maybe it actually is well position to, to, to catch a, a part of it. The focus on the, on the B2B side, not on the consumer side, but still, that's mm-hmm. probably a very nice position to be in. We'll see. Uh, since awesome. this action is, is, is listed, nothing of, uh, or, of, of what I said is investment advice. So they make the research. <laughs> exactly. And nothing we say here is investment advice. This is purely a research uh, in our own speculation, for sure. Uh, 
Yeah. Moving on, uh, Deep Ocean Capital announcing Deep Blue Ventures. So uh, again, you always highlight like new funds coming up, and I think that's uh, absolutely valuable just to see exactly what is the status of the investment ecosystem and investor ecosystem. So Deep Blue Ventures, uh, seed early stage fund focused on deep tech, specifically on space and AI, with actually branches, which basically with technologies that branch out to health as well. So it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of broad in a broad spectrum. Uh, the fund starts uh, basically operations with 40 million euro uh, as committed capital, and the expected closing is around 70. So it's quite a quite a medium to large fund, I would say, uh, on Italian standards. Um, very interesting because is uh, is women led. One of the um, um, chief operator there is uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is a is a is a lady with uh, with a lot of experience in the field. So uh, again, very few. I mean, a lot of interesting elements that uh, that happen that happening right there. Yeah, it's the first fund in a while. I have to say, uh, we haven't seen new funds starting or announcing the first closing for quite a few months. It's probably some some kind of signal that the market has been quite um, lazy and or frozen uh, in the last in the last six months at least. Uh, so very good news to have a new, a new management team launching yeah. um, fund in, 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 in an important vertical. So AI, space tech are probably strategic verticals and really need um, uh, money and competence uh, invested there. Yeah. So. The other, uh, I think, interesting elements of this is that uh, it's backed not only by CDP, but we also have uh, Leonardo and uh, the European Space Agency back in the fund. And they've been active uh, for sure in, uh, you know, supporting like new potential like uh, investment operator in the field. So um, it's a great strategy. I mean, Leonardo in particular, probably they've been like extremely active across the years. We've seen them uh, moving in different deals. So that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. I would also add like another element, which I thought it was particularly interesting. It doesn't really emerge too much. Uh, so the model of this fund is uh, both fund and uh, what they call startup factory. So essentially, uh, yeah, it's just briefly mentioned. I think it will see probably something moving like uh, in the future where basically they also want to leverage all the ecosystem of uh, startup studios, accelerator and incubators. Um, and so they're trying to actually make like a nice uh, dual model over there with fund, but also like the, the startup factory. So I'm very curious on how exactly this is going to go, because uh, um, the factory model, the startup studio model is something that we've been talking about. It's becoming really popular in Italy. I mean, with its pros and cons, people love it, some people hate it. Uh, but it's very good that actually there is like a, a, an, Im- an impulse to actually try something like significant and um, to actually to build something significant around an ecosystem. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Nice All right, points. let's uh, talk about the the publish the the publication from Italian Tech Alliance uh, about uh, the study of uh, investors in uh, in Italy. So Nick, yeah, that you share like a very interesting link. Uh, basically, it's a study conducted on I believe thirty five 
different funds. So what essentially it's been doing, I mean, what, what the, the analysts have been doing is essentially like compiling data from the kind of LPs and, and the t type of investor uh, that participate to the, these different funds. And they include like uh, some of the major and the more active, uh, the most active funds uh, in Italy, I would say. And uh, yeah, some interesting pattern have emerged, I would say. So uh, let me let me kick off uh, maybe with uh, with uh, like a small uh, like some you know some of the conclusion, and then you tell me what uh, what caught your eye in particular. So first of all, uh, the amount of dry powder apparently is like still uh, available is is not bad. It's 1.1 billion, so that's uh, that's significant. So basically, this is unused, unused capital that funds are holding. Uh, waiting to deploy in particular in uh, specific deals. So uh, capital didn't, re didn't really like dried out, it's still there. Uh, it's just a very slow market, as we mentioned before. And, uh, you know, we're halfway like the year, there is still time. Uh, so um, for all the founders out there, I would say, you know, there is hope even in this, uh, in this slowing down of the, of the whole macro context. Yeah, that's a that's a nice point. Um, I'm I'm curious about this number because this number hides a lot of uh, nuances. Think of, think of one. It's about if about fifty percent of capital in existing fund is actually being invested and only fifty percent is still available, a lot of that capital is probably destined to follow on and not to new investments because of you know math more or less. No. Yeah. Uh, so over there, it would be nice to, to know more about actually the average uh, age of the funds, because if the average age is closer to the fifth year, fourth year, sixth year, well, that's even, even worse. It means that that's mostly for long capital. If the average age is younger, then, you know, good news. It means that there is more dry powder for new rounds. Good point. Uh, that, that's something to, to keep an eye on. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, there are two, two numbers that, that, that catch the eye. The first one is that 50% of all the capital comes from sovereign investors. Yeah, yeah, yes. CBP, basically. And that says quite a lot on the maturity or immaturity of, of our markets. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, how little capital is actually um, committed by institutional investors. So the, the real um, capital movers in the, in, the, in the finance sector at large, uh, pension funds, um, bank foundations, stuff like that. So um, investors like, like those. Uh, there's a long way to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean... Jack. There is a long way to go, I agree. And uh, it's surprising the fact that actually, as you say, institutionals like uh, um, pension funds and insurance, they amount as less as corporate investors and banks in general, and actually less than private investors like family offices. So uh, that's pretty significant. I agree with you. Um, surprising though, I mean, on the positive note, corporations are holding. So they're like uh, exploring more and more and deploying capital there, which is positive. Um, yeah, I mean, the big player here, as you say, is definitely like uh, sovereign funds and like CDP in this, in this, in this uh, specific example. But yeah, um, comparing this kind of uh, structure to what happens in more uh, evolved ecosystems, 
we have the reversal of uh, between you know a sovereign investor and institutional investor where actually institutional investor plays play the majority role into uh, as LP in in uh, in a lot of different funds and uh, really in the US market starting from pension funds farmen or whatever else category like fund to like um, university endowments that actually are very active investors we don't have that uh, that element for example in italy but that doesn't no, mean that endowments uh, yeah but that doesn't mean that actually more evolve like uh, insurance uh, uh, you know uh, investors or or uh, different kinds of like uh, institutional can actually take that role Uh, mm. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. It would be interesting to see whether it's a matter of uh, culture, it's a matter of sophistication, it's a matter of like uh, portfolio management. Um, I mean, the, the classic uh, way of thinking of endowments is really always to allocate a percentage to alternatives, being it hedge funds or, uh, or venture capital. Um, I don't feel in Italy we do have this kind of way of thinking. Uh, there is way more um, conservative thinking, I would say. So they'll be curious to actually like uh, have the same kind of study, but related on institution, like digging deeper into this number about institutional. I mean, definitely good job of, uh, from the guys of Italian Tech Alliance to do this. But uh, let's go one level uh, beyond that and, and actually like have more, uh, more insights to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, having been on the on the front line fundraising, I got some you know some feelings about what's going on on that side. Uh, and one important component is education. So, not strictly speaking, education about uh, venture capital, but about uh, putting an allocation in venture capital in a portfolio. I mean, when you're used to moving around uh, chunks of capital in the order of the tens of millions, if you're a big money manager. Basically, I think in terms of tens of millions of allocation. Uh, and you're talking to an operator with a 50 million total commitment on the fund. You're not ready to allocate, I don't know, 5 million in that fund. Because it's like, I, how do I even spend time on that? So it's, it, there are a lot of nuances there. that boils down a lot to education and learning how to put that asset class into your, um, your portfolio allocation. Because they do understand VC uh, as, a, as a product. Uh, many are not, strictly speaking, ready to put to allocate on it because, you know, uh, yeah. inertia, because of uh, historical ways of allocating portfolio. I mean, and if it works, yeah. uh, you, you don't change it. I mean, if it works, you don't break it. You don't risk breaking it because <laughs> you, know, you try something new. So there is a lot, lot of you know um, inertial barriers to to, to to break down. Yeah, things are moving. Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Mm. And then the last point that I would make uh, is about the allocation by the the investment teams. Uh, I can see in the page. So the SGR teams invested like 60, 67 million in their funds. So putting their mouth where the where the food is, where the food is. Uh, Two three percent of the allocation, no, mm -hmm. not too shabby. So managers are believing in, their, in what they are doing. I would They're say. starting to believe. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm. Great point. All right. To conclude on a fun note uh, about uh, what we've been discussing um, with uh, uh, GPT and the ban of GPT a few weeks ago, 
uh, we've been discussing on how exactly that would impact the, the ecosystem. Uh, and finally, you found the research actually confirmed. Now we know. We've been, now we know exactly numerically what our intuition would have told us, but uh, in, a, in a kind of a good way, I would say, because uh, yeah, the, the research that you mentioned is that, uh, so a study has been conducted on the uh, GitHub activity of, it, of about 8,000 Italian uh, developers working on, on GPT-related project. Uh, so after, right after the ban, and correct me if I'm wrong, the activity of those accounts was like slashed by 50% for just about two days until basically somebody woke up and understood that, you know, VPN can actually bypass, um, you know, the GPT ban and people can still build on top of the, on, on GPT-4. Uh, so it was interesting. It was a very interesting yeah. uh, like study. So Nick, thanks for sharing. That's that was awesome. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I mean, that's you know, um, I wonder what happened during those two days. I mean, in in a, in a way, you might wonder how is it possible that ChatGPT was so entrenched in the development processes since it has been around for just a few months, right? Good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> and on the other side, if it wasn't, probably all, every developer was just looking for new ways to uh, access ChatGPT just because they wanted it, not just not exactly. because they needed it. So, I mean, uh, it would be nice to, to to explore the root causes of this. But again, fifty percent, quite a big number. Yeah. I mean, the probably one of the um, the insight from this is really the power of uh, of um, you know laws that can actually like put a big break on certain like um, uh, edge technologies that are starting to to develop. That doesn't mean that we're completely stuck uh, because of course the ecosystem is still building, is still early stage. There is still room. We're not behind, I would say. But definitely, if this thing uh, would um, be uh, longer in time, that can actually harm. I mean, it's powerful. The harm that that can make is actually like relevant. So jokes aside, I think that's something to to think about, especially when uh, when the government sort of interact with new technologies uh, happening on the market. Yeah. It is very nice to see this type of uh, researches about the immediate effects of legislations, of government decisions. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. very interesting. They have an effect. Also, but, I mean, it's so, That's not exactly the the, the the decision of the government it was open AI, close down ChatGPT. Like, yeah, I know that. Please don't write me with that, but I know that still. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, an article worth uh, worth reading and to and to explore. So, uh, Nick, thank you so much for um, for the discussion, and uh, I'll see you next week. Ciao, Jack. Thank you for the conversation. It was great as usual. Have a great week.